All right, so um, with the Advent season behind us now, and the Lent season not yet upon us, I thought I would try to get back to Acts, you know, because this summer, last summer, I'm preaching through Acts. Uh, we've made it all the way to chapter 11. But I think that this is actually a rather timely place to be as we start a discernment process together because of the scenario we have where Peter has just done a new thing. And trust me, it's a new thing. In going into a Gentile's house and preaching the gospel to Gentiles under their own roof and staying with them. And then the Holy Spirit moving within these Gentiles and then experiencing a genuine conversion. But where we pick up in verse 11, because that happened last time I spoke out of Acts in verse 10 or in chapter 10. But here we are at chapter 11, where the logical thing happens next when you're at church. They question what he was doing. Why did you do that? And they're not off base when they ask this question. If you've read the Old Testament, he just did a lot of things you ought not to do. He went, well, he recounts for himself, as Rob read this morning, exactly how he ended up to be in a Gentile home. And that he had a vision that God had told him, whatever I call clean, do not call unclean. And immediately he is, well, he's invited by Gentiles, one of which is a Roman soldier. Now, if I was one of the circumcision party, which unfortunately, were I a Jewish Christian during this time period, I would probably be of the circumcision party. I know myself. I like order, structure, rules. Right? So that would have probably been me going up to Peter saying, what's all this? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what God told Moses? Have you forgotten? What are you doing? And I think that's probably the healthiest way I can see myself in this scripture. The reality is, though, is I'm not of Jewish descent. I'm of a lot of different descents, and possibly there could be some Jewish in there. I have no idea. But I'm one of the Gentiles. And our Sunday school lesson, oddly enough, was out of this exact same chapter of Acts. I did not plan that. It happened. So I've already read this in King James this morning. Because our Sunday school books are in King James, the scripture references. But it asks the question in our Sunday school book, when was the last time we thank God that he extended his grace outside of the Jewish lineage? Because that's something we should all be very thankful for. What I think is wonderful is not only does he go to the house, not only does he proclaim the gospel, not only do the Gentiles believe, but he stays there under their roof. And then he recounts the words of Jesus. 
right before Jesus ascended. And that's in verse 16. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even Gentiles God has granted repentance, excuse me, even to Gentiles God has granted repentance that leads to life. That is a very important phrase, repentance that leads to life. The Gentiles had fallen short of the glory of God, but as we've already learned from Scripture, so had the Jews, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is in Romans, I know. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God led them to repentance as well, as God has led us to repentance for our sins, because we have all sinned and we have all fallen short. What really becomes clear to me, particularly because of uh, my own human nature, and I'm sure that you share that same human nature, is we see God doesn't play favorites by people groups. It is really hard not to play favorites by people groups. Philosophically, not so hard. In action, it is terrifically difficult not to play favorites. And I don't know, I don't want to make this go too far in any direction. I just want the word of God to speak for what it says. However, if Jesus is calling someone to repentance, to follow him, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to follow him, who am I to stand in God's way? Now, this is where it becomes a difficult balance. If Jesus is calling them into repentance, that means genuinely following. But I shouldn't keep them out based on their pedigree or their past or their position in life. You notice he is in the house of a officer of the Roman military, the oppressive Roman military. They are an oppressive occupying force. They do not treat Jewish people very well overall. We read in scripture that Cornelius was an exception to that. However, his position would not have been really where you would want to evangelize to. Even if he were, in which he wouldn't be as a, as a Roman soldier, but even if he were of the right lineage, his occupation would have still been a problem. And here we are with God filling Gentiles with the Holy Spirit to include soldiers of a rep repressive regime. What do we make of that? Do we make anything of that or do we read right through it? I find that to be incredibly significant, particularly with the climate we're at in this world. I'm not speaking about our beautiful weather. I mean, the, the actual social climates of this world. What do we make of that? That the Holy Spirit saw fit to be poured out onto these people. 
I feel like there's something to be noticed here. I know for a Jewish person, a Samaritan is about as bad as it could get, but a Roman soldier's got to be pretty close. This is not who you want there. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit was poured out onto these people without them ever receiving circumcision, without them ever becoming Jewish first. They didn't follow the right order. They didn't do the steps. Yet their, their God was, their Jesus was, their the Holy Spirit was saying them right now and called them into repentance. And I think that Peter's response at the beginning of his account when he sees God present all this unclean stuff, all these unclean animals, and he hears the voice say, rise, kill and eat. And his first response is, surely not. I'm not going to do it. You told me I'm not supposed to do this. I think that makes sense. Peter knew he wasn't supposed to eat unclean animals. Peter knew he wasn't supposed to go into a Gentile's house. Peter knew these things. He had been taught these things. He lived these things. It's not my belief that God is often going to ask us to do something against his word. In fact, I would almost, I know I'd plant a flag on that hill that I don't believe God is going to ask you to go against what his word says. But I can also read in Acts 11 where God did exactly that with Peter. What do I make of that? Well, clearly what I make of them, well, not clearly, let me make it clear what I think happened here is Jesus fulfilled the law, correct? So much of this very physical stuff, dietary, circumcision, is fulfilled. God says he's looking for a circumcision of the heart, that our heart is supposed to be changed, that we're supposed to clear off the excess in our hearts so that we look differently. When I read it through that lens, it seems far less contradictory to the Old Testament. Well, Jesus has fulfilled this. God is calling all people to himself, just like he promised Abraham that the whole world would be blessed. Personally, I have a tendency, because I'm human, and you do it too, it's just maybe in different ways than I do it, to look at people and think, yeah, not them. Based on what they're doing, you could say, yeah, probably not them. Because they already are a part of a religion, or a false religion, or because they look a certain way or because their past is full of certain things that you find reprehensible. And we make up excuses, and we find reasons why not to interact with people. 
If you are a child under a certain age, please don't take this as advice to talk to strangers. But there's certain groups that I find very difficult to talk to. And I'm not being racist when I say that. What I'm saying is there's certain histories of people that I find very difficult to talk to. People that have committed certain acts become very difficult for me to associate with. But what if Jesus is calling them? What if God is truly calling them to repentance? What am I to do? What are you to do? Well, they're not right. Well, no, they're not. But neither were you. So what are we to do? For example, at one point I was very vocal in saying anyone that ever hurts a child ceases to be human. That was my loophole. They shouldn't have human rights even. If you hurt a child, you're done. That was my stark, hardline stance on anything involving children. If you hurt a kid, you're done. You're not even human anymore. I was wrong. That's hard to admit because it still breaks my heart and fires me up like nothing else. But I was wrong. My hatred is not excused. First Peter 3.9 tells us, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. My hatred is not excused just because I felt it was justified. Just because someone was wrong didn't make me right. I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again, and I didn't come up with it, but you're welcome to use it. You will never look into the eyes of someone that Jesus was not willing to die for. Even that person that turns my stomach is beloved of the Father. And if I'm going to honestly pray, not my will, but thine, I need to get over myself. And so do you. We're not the gatekeepers of Christ's kingdom. We're the greeters. Use discernment when picking babysitters and stuff. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we're, we're the greeters. If someone is turning towards Christ, you help them along the way. You teach them. You hold them accountable. I know that's a tough one. You hold them accountable. If you disagree, try your best to do it in love because we're going to disagree. If there's more than one person in the room, there's going to be a disagreement. The difficult balance comes And the fact that it's clear that these people were led to repentance, true repentance, a turning away from their sins to follow Christ. And Peter says, if God called them, who am I to stand in the way? It's very difficult not to become the gatekeepers of a club because there are laws of God. 
there are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. I don't believe we're to allow all things at all times. This is very difficult, isn't it? You were expecting clearer answers, I'm sure. But that's part of why I believe discernment is so important. Discernment with open Bibles, I think, is incredibly important. I never want to do anything that compromises Scripture. That's a personal conviction. I never want to do anything that compromises Scripture. Just as strong as a conviction is, I never want to be the stumbling block between someone and the foot of the cross. How do we do that? Does anyone disagree with what I'm saying right now? Is there anyone that wants to act against the will of a righteous and holy God? Because it's serious. Just in case you've never flipped through the Old Testament, our God plays for keeps. But he loves you. Just as serious, though, as I don't want to be the person that keeps one of the little ones from coming to Christ. And I know in Scripture that's talking about children. But I also notice that our Heavenly Father has a tendency to keep referring to us as children. When do people stop being children? To me, when they stop being cute. To God, I don't know. Another very important question from Scripture is, who is my neighbor? If I'm to love my neighbor as myself. What I see in Acts 11 is far less of a contradiction as a fulfillment that Christ is now acting as the priest. He is the sacrifice. He is willing and able to forgive outside of the Jewish community. And we're all blessed because of that. God is moving among people who do not have the right pedigree. And we're all blessed because of that. God is filling those with the Holy Spirit who did not do anything to earn it. And again, we're all blessed because of that. This chapter is one blessing after another. But oftentimes we read right through it because it's a recounting of what just happened. You ever wonder why it'll say the same story three times in a row in the Bible? You ever wonder why they say the same story three times in a row in the Bible? Hey, do you ever wonder why they say the same thing three times in a row? Because repetition shows importance. We have four Gospels, right? We have things that are repeated over and over again so that you don't skip over it. 
And because if this just happened once in the book of Acts, I don't think we talk about it as much. Because it would be like, oh, that time. It would be talked about less. You know, Jesus calling those outside into repentance. Now, we see it with the Ethiopian eunuch as well. God calling someone who did not belong in. But that person was in the right place, or at least he was at first. These people are in a Gentile home. So what do we do about it? What do we do to evangelize to people that don't belong, that aren't in? I happen to know that there is an enormous population of people that could really use the gospel, and they don't move around because they're locked away. We have institutions full of people, full of sinners, broken people. If you ever talk to someone that's in jail for a serious crime, you'll usually find out there are reasons why they are the way they are, because nothing happens in a vacuum. The biggest reason is they need Jesus. But we don't often think to evangelize to prisoners, at least not personally, because it's inconvenient, because they're undesirable, because you could get stabbed or something. I don't know. What are the reasons? Because I'll tell you, you won't get stabbed if you visit the prison unless something seriously went wrong. Your odds of getting stabbed in prison are probably lower than your average kindergarten classroom. Those kids are brutal with scissors. They don't know what they're doing. But again, my own conviction is bleeding over when I bring that up. A couple years ago, I brought up a friend of mine that's been in jail for, I think, 18 years now. I have yet to write to him. He's eligible for parole in about another 15 years. He probably won't get it because of the severity of his crime. Why haven't I written to someone that I genuinely know and actually care about? Because I forget. Is he not in desperate need of Jesus? Is he not in a place where he'll probably listen? He's not going anywhere. We have one of the highest populations of incarcerated citizens of any planet on the earth. Actually, I think it's the highest. And one thing that you're allowed to do with all of these prisoners is preach at them. One of the only places left inside society where they encourage it. You don't even have to go to jail to find unsaved people. The only thing that there's more of than churches around here is bars. Some of us should not go into the bar. It's not evangelism. Some of you could. I'm not telling you to unless God is calling you to, but you could. You know how many Little League games are around here? There's some serious negativity at Little League games. There's people that need Jesus there. There's people that need Jesus everywhere. There's people that need Jesus at church. 
Let's not be a stumbling block. Let's be the greeters. Say, welcome. And live your life in a fashion that when they ask, is this okay that I'm doing this? You can say, well, scripture tells me, no, it's not. And then you wait for the Holy Spirit to convict them, which is difficult. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. If the Holy Spirit has convicted you, don't go against it. That would be a sin. We teach others to live properly. But in order to teach them to live properly, we have to be in some sort of communication with them. This is why shunning is so dangerous, I think. Breaking all ties rarely calls people back. It just breaks people. It just hurts people. It hurts us. And I realize a lot of this has been clear as mud. And for that, I apologize. But if you could take the nuggets of clarity... Sometimes reading through scriptures like mining for gold, like panning for gold, you put all of it in a pan, you swirl the water around and you look for the stuff that shines. That has great value. You find the gold in the murky. What I can take from this with full and total conviction is whoever God has called, I'm not going to stand in their way. And that God has called them to repentance, all of them. Not the ones I picked, the ones he picked. It's not my job to predestine those for heaven. That's something that God does because he's sovereign and I'm finite and jaded. And so are you. We are all finite, jaded, broken, and scarred. And sanctified. Set apart for something holy. Anyway, if you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for all that you are. I thank you that you've chosen us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be proper vessels of you to everyone. Father God, I pray that you would call us to true repentance, that you would call those we interact with to true repentance and that we'd be able to guide them to repentance, that you would allow us to become more holy, that you would allow them to become more holy. Father God, I pray that you would help us in this difficult balance. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. I also pray that you bless the food in any meeting that happens afterwards. I pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do today. In Jesus' name, amen. That brings us to a hymn of response. Jesus, our God, and Mary's name.
Father, as we go from here, I pray that you would help us to be proper lights of you, Lord, to all nations, to all people, that we would be righteous before you, that we would lead others to righteousness, that you would give us a heart to love. I pray that you would help us to see past people's sins and to see what you found worthy of redemption, Lord. I'm on the wrong verse. Oh, Father. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. All together, amen. Peace. Shalom. Shalom.